heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today. It is Friday morning, the 19th of May. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. Natalie Cook, uh, the Olympian um, and absolute legend will join us. A fantastic Fantastic situation what she started. Green and gold athletes. I can't wait to talk to her. We'll talk with Senator Susan McDonald. Big feedlot starting in central Queensland. We'll also talk about AA's profit. We'll try and catch up on the Emerald store market as well and much, much more. It's a big show. It's Friday morning. It's Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. You can download any of our previous episodes, ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. There is so much to get through this morning, so let's get into it. Senator Susan McDonald joining us next. This is Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Good morning. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Well, uh, huge news coming out of uh, the AA company world with it recording its strong $67.4 million operating profit for the 2022-2023 year. Uh, AACO, Australian Agco, it's its strongest refi- strongest financial result in recent years, and you would hope so. 35% increase in operating profit. Um, total revenue of $313 million, up 14% on the previous year. Cash flow was down by 16 Outlay supporting production, 19% of beef and live waste basis, which was a result that, you know, everybody would have been happy with. $67.4 million in total revenue profit. So David Harris, the CEO, um, has obviously said the turnaround, the season conditions and the growth um, year on year to 433,000 head. The investment in the herd will be realised over time. The waggy supply chain stretches over several years and obviously is tied up, but there is a market-to-market cattle fair value reduction of $112 million. Um, the net assets have increased to $1.6 billion, uh, largely due to the $294 million increase of the AA company's properties. And so that has really, really helped. AA company for many, many years was a sleeping giant, and to have these kind of results is really good. Sustainability is something that they are really working on. Um, last year saw 62% of AA's company's bores, 388, be converted to solar with the full company-wide transition on track for completion in 2024. So they're big solar panel bores, um, and that is huge. I mean, I spent time on the bore truck and doing a bore run. The fact is, um, you know, th- that's happening. Well, the old Lister engines uh, are a thing of the past. First stage of the company, um, you know, their me- methane inhabiting trial concluded in the second half of the year and they looked at other things. They achieved efficiencies in supply chain that are the equivalent to avoiding 191,000 tonnes of emissions. Further the progress, they obviously had a lot more. Now, that is um, a very, very good result and I, I, I really um, feel um, that they should be very happy with that. Charlie Mort, Mort & Go, we know them well. They are one of the most successful Australian companies and he's self-made. 
Well, another big announcement made yesterday. There will be a feedlot in the ticky areas. Uh, Central Queensland beef producers, this was written up in the Country Life, have welcomed the announcement of the largest privately owned lot feeder, Morton Co., to build a new state-of-the-art feedlot west of Rockhampton. It's been given the green light by the Rockhampton Regional Council with Mayor Tony Williams present when they made this announcement. The Gagango site will accommodate 36,500 SCU feedlot and will employ in excess of 65 full-time staff. i tell you what, this is a game-changer. It will turn over 125,500 head of cattle and bring in with it $15 million fertiliser plant, which will repurpose 43,000 tonne of manure, turning it into a carbon-based granular fertiliser. It will have a $31 million economic contribution to the Rockhampton economy and it will inject $53.2 million into regional economies. Stephen O'Brien and Executive Chairman Charlie Moore travelled to Rockhampton for the announcement on Thursday. Claremont beef producer Richard Hughes Wentworth attended the announcement and said the project received unanimous support. The Beef Capital Australia needs another feedlot which will enhance the support of meat production. Charlie Moore said the company's commitment to the region is clear. Mort said the company has worked hard to develop a complementary business over the past five years which will contribute to a sustainable and circular economy. He said they have a de-hulling and de-oiling cottonseed plant which allows them to extract the meal and oil from the seed, which means that like manure, there is no waste. Rockhampton Mayor Tony Williams said that Welcoming Morton Co to the region on Thursday is a feather in the beef capital's cap. We're excited for the economic benefits of having a company like Morton Co develop in our region, which dovetails beautifully into our beef industry. The ag industry is alive and well. Well, I can tell you what, this makes more sense than people think, and this is going to bring more competition. It is anticipated that the end of 2024, it will be operational. And I think everybody would be extremely happy with that outcome. What a great result. Well done to Charlie Mort. Well done um, to also uh, the CEO, Stephen O'Brien, and to the Rockhampton Council. They've had some troubles at the moment, but I tell you what, they're actually looking like, um, you know, they're going okay. Emerald Prime and Store cattle um, saw a slight increase in numbers this week, 446 head more than the previous week, 1,594 in total. And markets across continued to see a correction with some descriptions 30 cents cheaper. There were some really good offerings. Um, 166 head from of the Blue Sky Composite Steers attracted good bidding on Thursday. Um, and there was a lot of things. But this cow job um, was, was soft. There wasn't a lot of cattle making over $4. Um, but there's a lot of feed around and then obviously this market is just rolling along. Um, I, I will say this, um, that this job has had some some corrections. Cows peaked at 210, while steers 400 to 500 made 336. Um, slaughter cattle were consistent. Um, there is some competition, but it was nowhere near what it has been. Um, it just is a real oversupply at the moment of cattle coming onto the market. So, that would bode well and, and obviously in time we've talked about it this week, 
it has been very, very patchy where things have gone. So much to like about what is happening um, and obviously uh, we continually talk about that but I will next week talk about how Angel Flight um, has changed the way things are happening. Now the government is backing for a plan of transport to transport rural doctors, not just the ill. So the non-emergency medical flight provider Angel Flight is working on a transport initiative that could make a difference. Now, we've spoken to a couple of people at Angel, Angel Flight who are more than happy to talk about this. Now, they've had their dramas, but 60,000 flights have taken place. Now, what they're talking about is a partnership that might be able to, to really be a game changer for the bush. So they grab the doctors and rather than them you know, having to drive, they can fly them through there. But the federal government is going to have to look at a profitable way. So what they're doing is they're actually going to try and take up some of the routes that won't won't possibly and won't happening anymore and then that would envisage bring doctors into regional areas. It can only happen one way though. It can only happen if the government come on board and that's the big issue moving forward. Interesting times ahead, very interesting times ahead. We're going to take a break, come back. Uh, Senator Susan McDonald, she joins us next. This is Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network with Ben Dobbin, 19th of May, uh, a Friday morning. It's uh, Friday, which means Senator Susan McDonald checks in with us, uh, which is always a regular and something that we're so grateful uh, that she's a part of this show. Senator, good morning and thank you so much for us. How's your week been? Oh, Ben, good morning. Great to talk to you. I have had uh, a really interesting week. I've been right around the country but just got back from from Adelaide where the uh, APIA, the the Oil and Gas Conference was on and um, gosh, you know, pretty concerning to see the government doing its very best to drive offshore the industries that pay Australia's bills, that um, employ so many Australians in well-paid jobs. Uh, But the government, the federal government, that is, is doing every single thing they can to try and make it uh, so unattractive for people to invest in Australia. And uh, it's it's worrying times, Ben. I'm I'm worried that the government is, they're, they're basically robbing from our children that they won't have the prosperity that we've enjoyed uh, by having these these big projects in Australia that pay massive corporate tax and royalties, pay Australians, uh, you know, these great jobs, um, and that really do pay for the schools and the roads. Excuse me, the roads, the hospitals, and the Hello. NDIS. You know, they're, they're, yeah, it's, it's madness. I'm I'm fascinated, and we talk about this, and there's a place for everything in in this world, but. The golden goose and what has been off the back, we've got agriculture and mining and the and the, the resource sector. That's it for us because anything else they've shut down. Um, anything else they've shipped off 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 uh, you know offshore to another country. So I'm 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 fascinated to know where they think it's going to come from. Where where is the golden goose and the irresponsible money that they can spend willy-nilly to to appease their groups. I just don't understand where it's going to come from. And this is the thing. We've seen uh, Tanya Plibersek shut down and not approve countless at the moment uh, mining licences in Queensland. We understand the pressure that all these uh, industries are under because of the current legislation. So what's stopping them saying, hey, mate, too hard, too hard, we can't do it anymore? Well, that's exactly what they're saying. I spoke to 
uh, a number of companies, and mostly the small ones, the ones who are really suffering, but the big ones are, are just saying, look, our, our investment boards are saying we could take this money and go to Alaska, go to Canada, uh, go to Indonesia, go to other places um, because, you know, they have other opportunities. Some of those countries are, are, are um, encouraging companies to go there, you know, through their regulations, through their incentives because, you know, in, in Australia, our biggest exports and our biggest taxpayers uh, are mining companies and not just by a little bit, by a lot buy a lot. Our biggest export earnings are iron ore, coal and gas. Well, that was last year. This year the order will be coal, iron ore and gas. Uh, these are the ones that, that make us the money. And we do have, you know, we have a process for regulatory approval. We have high standards and expectations of how they operate. And in return, uh, they get to access our resources and they pay us big money in royalties, company taxes and PAYG taxes, as well as, and, and it's mostly in regional places then. So, you know, regional towns that have the benefit of, you know, small businesses going really well because, you know, of the money that's been invested into, into those regions and those communities. So, you know, the replacement industries, if you think about, you know, coal and gas in particular as energy sources, you know, if you go to the logical end of this argument and you replace those industries with wind turbines and solar panels that are manufactured in China, imported here, yes, there's a few jobs while they stand them up, but after that, there's nothing. There's no royalties. There's very little company taxes. There's certainly no ongoing jobs for the regional communities or Australia. You know, we are going to be a much poorer country and our kids won't get to live the lifestyle that we have yeah. because the government has decided to go down this crazy, crazy route and not acknowledge that Australia, we benefit economically from these industries. It makes us a very stable region because we export energy to all of these neighbours, whether it be coal or gas, uh, means that they don't have to go and buy from, from you know other countries that are not our allies. But, you know, crazily... When Australia is part of the world's energy supply, when it's supplying coal and gas, uh, it means that, that poor countries, like in Africa, uh, they don't have to pay, pay the higher prices for energy, like they've had to do in the last couple of uh, years with, um, uh, with energy prices skyrocketing. So what do they do? Well, they go back to burning uh, wood, burning coal. Uh, there has been millions of more people go into poverty because of energy prices and uh, and then of course that's higher emissions. So when Australia isn't engaged, when the federal the, the federal labor government doesn't encourage Australia to to export coal and gas and you know everything else that we have, then we actually drive up world emissions. So just yeah, crazy. So crazy. Australia gets Australia gets poorer. The rest of the world gets higher emissions. Uh, and less energy security. And, and you know, they wonder why the Japanese Prime Minister's down here saying, please, please, keep sending us LNG. This this is what's keeping our, our neon lights on in Tokyo. Don't threaten our energy security. So, you know, it's incredibly serious, Ben. Uh, so I, I was down at this conference 
uh, talking to investors, talking to operators, talking to some of the thousands of people who are employed in these industries who are incredibly proud of the work that they do uh, to to come up with challenges to modern problems, uh, you know, um, mechanically, engineering, yeah. uh, environmentally, you know, human resources. They're, they're an impressive crowd. And yeah, and look, and they don't, they're, they're very confused. They are very confused. i tell you who else is confused, and I mean this, Senator, is the people um, just 30 kilometres west of Rockhampton, and uh, it's the fight of their lives, they're calling it. Now, this is off the back of, and David Littleproud visited, and I talked about it yesterday. Colin Boyce was there as well, and Michelle Landry. This is a 10,910 hectare mower wind farm project, 30 kilometres west of Rockhampton. And unfortunately, through lack of consultation and the big proposal of infrastructure projects to meet the federal government's 82% renewable energy targets, they are in any way completely uh, immune to any legislation. So the Great Barrier Reef, the environmental damage that it causes, renewable sector doesn't have to comply. Um, tree clearing guidelines, renewable sector doesn't have to apply. Does not does not mean anything, it's just local. Um, what about the environmental pro- protocols and all the stuff that goes on? They, the renewable sector, they don't have to apply at all. This is opening a can of worms and if it happens here, it'll happen next door, it'll happen to your place coming close. This is a dog with fleas. <laughs> Absolutely right. So currently uh, – Renewable projects only require local government approval. They don't require an EIS under the state legislation or even a referral to the to the federal government legislation. And we're ending up with these huge projects where there is, um, you know, hundreds of hectares of country that can be cleared, uh, a lot of soil disturbance, things that if you're starting an agricultural project or expanding that, uh, or even a mine project, there is no way, no way you'd be allowed to do that. Uh, and so we have to apply the same regulations, the same level playing field to these projects as you would to any other. And we have to um, stop saying because something's a renewable uh, that it doesn't have any, any issues. Well, they do, but the renewables industry is incredibly powerful. I can't begin to tell you. Uh, the influence that they have in Canberra and on George Street, and um, and it's time these things are, are called out. Uh, and and at the same time, we're seeing massive impacts on our roads and our local infrastructure because you know we've talked about this before. The Queensland state government is six billion—that's with a B—billion dollars behind uh, on their Queensland regional roads maintenance. This is according to the Queensland Auditor General, not me. I'm not making this up. And so there are bridges that are weight rated. There are roads that are already under pressure. And when you put these massive trucks on them, uh, you're left with roads that are dangerous, that kids are having to travel on every day to go to school, that you know, families are using to go to work, and yet we're making it harder and, and more unsafe for people to travel on these roads. We know that, that you're three times more likely to die on a regional road or have a serious hospitalisation accident on Queensland roads than you are uh, on southeast corner roads. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, it, it, is just, it is just unbelievable what goes on and in this government. 
Quickly, and uh, we're going to take a quick break, Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. It is Friday morning. Ben Dobbin, your host, and we're talking with Senator Susan McDonald. I don't know where to start with the shuffling of the deck chairs, and I'm going to get to um, the pressure that the pharmaceutical industry is under as well. But this week, from a state-based perspective, um, we saw the changing of roles and no new body, no new blood was brought in, no new ministers were brought in. We just changed it around. I mean, the health system, the basket case, um, the housing crisis, yeah, they just go on and on and on, yet no one gets punished, no one gets in any way reprimanded. We just change it because we think that's going to make a difference. Um, I mean, first and foremost, you're a Queenslander, Susan. Um, you pay your rates here, you live here. It just is the most unbelievable set of circumstances from a state government that is nothing but arrogant. Well, Ben, I think at the last state election, and that is when governments are held to account, but at the last state election, we're, um, you know, just coming out of COVID, people were worried about their health, uh, and Palaszczuk and the Labor team, you know, managed to to be re-elected on the basis of, you know, of a lot of health issues. Uh, but I think now Queenslanders are looking around and they're saying, am I better or worse off than I was 10 years ago when they elected? The crime is out of control. People's cars are being stolen. They can't get to work. They can't take their kids to school, particularly in regional areas where you don't have public transport. Um, they're, they're being broken into in their homes. They're feeling um, They're feeling afraid. Uh, and then if you're injured, you don't know if an ambulance is going to turn up. Uh, ambulances are ramped right across the state. We have less speedy health care. We have hospitals without doctors. We have hospitals where you can't have a baby like Gladstone. Um, you know, this the, it, is, it is incredibly serious the way this government has failed on delivery of services Right across Queensland, yeah, uh, and we and and then the lack of integrity, you know, some of these extraordinary things that in any other government you would have seen a minister sacked, or at least you know have to resign. But you know, so you're absolutely right. The the premier is just shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. But this is an administration that has no answers uh, to to problems that often they have created. They have created the crime wave with their changes to uh, to legislation that means that uh, youth are not being detained, that magistrates have got almost no power about the decisions they make, about what punishments they hand out. Uh, it was uh, Palaszczuk government, when they got into government, that they cancelled all the youth training camps, all the, the camps where kids would be able to get out of town and learn a trade, learn a, a, an industry. They are all cancelled. Uh, but it just went on and on. You, I cannot believe that in this state, that when you, you, you ring Triple O to try and get an ambulance, you don't know if one's going to turn up or not or how long it will take. You know, we've got great people working in those departments, but they are, they are broken, they're bullied, they're terrified. Um, I, I just can't believe for our great state... Um, that we are getting less good outcomes, but for more money, they're throwing more public servants at the problem. Uh, they're paying people more, but 
they can't, they couldn't organise a chook raffle <laughs> and, and so we're not getting the outcomes that the state government's supposed to deliver. So very serious, Ben, and I think the only thing we can do is continue raising the issues, but um, in October next year when we go to the state election, they have got to go. Oh, there's no two ways about it. Um, can I ask you this, and, and I mean this in all seriousness, the pharmaceutical industry and the, and the chemists are up in arms. They're getting pressure like never before. How does that resolve? We haven't got the doctors in Australia. The, the, there's a shortage of them that we've never had before. So how do we how do we move on from that? Well, one of the things I'm really proud of is that over the years, through the, the pharmacy licensing arrangements, there are pharmacists that have stayed in regions uh, right across Australia. And there is 342 postcodes in this country where there is a pharmacist and no doctor. The pharmacists have, have continued to provide frontline health care uh, for, for regional communities. And, and we know this, that, you know, you turn up and you say, oh, look, I've got this medicine. How do I take it? Oh, you, you, you ask your pharmacist a lot of advice. And so there are rules changing. Pharmacists are going to be able to provide um, uh, pr- provide prescriptions for um, a number of more simple conditions. Uh, but, you know, they, they oh, and I'm sorry, the other thing they do is they often, um, and so I'm thinking of probably bigger centres now, they open for longer hours. So if you go to Cairns or uh, Brackenridge in Brisbane, you know, there are pharmacies who are open seven days a week uh, they're open until, you know, late hours at night. Uh, and they're the ones that you go to when you're sick. And everybody else is shut. You go to your pharmacist in the hope that they can give you something that will help. But this, uh, what the federal government has done is they've said, we're going to allow uh, you to get two months' worth of scripts when you turn up at the pharmacy, not just one, for things like blood pressure medication, diabetes, um, you know, things that you would get scripts for things that you take every day. Now, at face value, that's great. But what they didn't tell us they were doing is that when you went like that, instead of getting the fee for each month's script, pharmacists will only pay be paid for one. So that means they have to keep all of that stock. In fact, they've got to keep more inventory because, you know, people come in and need more. But they will also get um, they'll have to do the same amount of work or, you know, double, in fact, but for less fees. Yeah. This is part of our frontline healthcare and the government has just halved the money that they're paying to pharmacists and then they're saying, oh, no, no, we're going to pay, you know, they'll get it back. Well, that's just rubbish yeah, because garbage. all the projects that the government is talking about, um, therefore, you know, funding infrastructure over here and, training programs over there, but none of them solve the problems that pharmacists are having to put staff off. You know, I've had pharmacists in tears from right across this state. They are, you know, healthcare professionals. They're in tears. Why is the government attacking our business like this? We employ people. They're often women. We're going to have to put them off. We're going to have to be open for less long hours. Um, You know, how, we, 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 some of them, their businesses will not stay afloat. They oh. will not stay afloat and we will have less service, particularly in regional parts of the state uh, and the country, because the federal government 
again, couldn't organise a, a raffle in a, you know. Yes, I know. I get it. <sighs> it's frustrating and it's what, what it is, it is very clear that we've got a basket case on our hands. And I hate banging on about it. I hate really, to be honest with you, trying to be being so negative about it. But this has to change. Appreciate your time. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next week. As usual, Terrific, it's a really ple- great pleasure to have you on our show uh, on Rural Queensland Today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It's Friday morning, the 19th of May. Friday morning, Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, the 19th of May. Ben Dobbin with you this morning and so much to get through. Yesterday, a awesome thing was launched, uh, something that will create a legacy and we all talk about wanting to make sure that the people of rural and regional Queensland get their opportunity to go and represent Australia. Well, one great Australian Olympian in Natalie Cook, um, she's a bushy, she's from, she's from regional Queensland, um, has started an awesome thing called greenandgoldathletes.com.au. Nat Cook, Olympic gold medalist, joins us this morning on Rural Queensland Today. How are you, mate? So this is a new initiative um, and it's something you've talked about funding and pathways for many, many years, but now there is a a direct organisation where people can support. So talk to us about Green and Gold Athletes. Yeah, well, you've been on the end of um, me talking and rabbiting on and barking and complaining for years about athletes wearing the green and gold, especially in those sports that don't have a direct line to a broadcasting opportunity like AFL, cricket, rugby league, rugby union, netball, and now, you know, women's the rise of women's sport. This isn't just about girls, though. It's boys as well in the journey, and... Um, we as a collective group of Olympians and Paralympians, or those aspiring to be Olympians and Paralympians, have difficulty funding the journey. It's enough trouble training every day, trying to eat the right food, getting enough sleep, looking after your mental health, to have to worry about financial as well. So um, it costs a lot of money. We have a 15-year-old, as an example, a 15-year-old BMX girl out of Ipswich, going over to Glasgow to compete for Australia and it's going to cost her and the family, you know, close on $30,000 and we're losing a lot of our talent that are going to uh, potentially represent us in Brisbane 2032 because of financial, lack of financial opportunities, lack of understanding how to raise their own money, which is also what we're doing. Yeah. I'm gathering money, Dobbo, and I'm going to... We're going to give it out in grants and we're also going to teach these kids and families how to fundraise. The, the, the biggest thing, and, and I, look, I'm lucky enough that uh, I do know you, Nat, and we've spoken before. I work with Liesl Jones every day. I, I've worked with Libby Trickett. I've had many friends that are Olympians and the same thing comes back. Certain people can make money out of it, but that is less than 1%. The average Olympian and people wouldn't believe this, they live on breadcrumbs as they represent our country at the greatest event in the world, and that's the Olympics. Every four years, they give up everything and sacrifice everything, and the families, a lot of the time, are the people that fund it, or what you just said, people just say, you know what, I can't continue to chase this dream. Yeah, well, 
I just can't. I can't live. I can't survive. And this will give a people an opportunity. So how does it work? I, I love this, by the way, because it's the sports, not the mainstream sports that, that that don't get the funding and these poor young men and women who are absolutely trying to get to get to the pinnacle that need the support. So how does it work? Well, Dobbo, we're gathering anybody that wants to support these athletes over the next nine years. It's a, a long green and gold runway and um, we wanted to start early. It's from a cup of coffee a week, a cup of coffee a month, all the way through to those that can afford big corporate dollars um, to fund and sponsor green and gold athletes, yeah. the organisation, to get out there and continue to raise money. So there's an opportunity through the Australian Sports Foundation where we've registered the project to get tax deductibility and so you can go on there or through our web, website there's a button to donate um, and you can support someone ongoing. You can choose, uh, it's not live right now but you can eventually choose a specific athlete. We'll have athletes from the bush. As you said, I came out of Townsville. There's a disproportionate amount of athletes that come from regional or remote Queensland because let's face it, that's where you get focused on your craft. There's no distractions, right? So you come home from school, you drop your school bag and you get outside and you play with your mates and um, we've, we've seen the Matildas uh, come to the FIFA World Cup and hopefully they do well in the next few months. So I guarantee there's a lot of girls and boys out there kicking footies right now out there in the bush. No, so you're, how do you're they right. get that, that so leg up, right? We are not about a handout, we're about a leg up and we're also going to teach these kids about fundraising. I had to do that job. I started, my parents told me when I was 15 they couldn't afford for me to go to Tassie to play volleyball for uh, for my school. Yeah. So I sat on my letterbox crying uh, for 15 minutes and thought, you know, I've got to be responsible for my own destiny. I thought my parents didn't love me anymore. Um, and I went out and fundraised. I sold Yatla Pies. I sold a thousand bucks worth of Yatla Pies and off I went. It was the, the way to get my journey. So we're going to teach these kids and uh, we're going to find a way to make sure that they don't struggle alone financially and with it uh, ease the burden. I can't wait for 2032, and I know you're part of the organising uh, committee like on, on that board that, that is obviously putting everything in place. And, and look, there's so many exciting things. But this is a legacy not just for 2032. This could be a game changer long term because – the government have pulled a lot of funding, and it's no, and it's not just one side of government. It's all government. It, there's nowhere near the funding that it was, uh, that once was. So, this could be a real pathway forward, green and gold athletes. Um, and and the fact is that people, uh, there'll be people that I would love to donate to that I'm completely unaware. I live in Ipswich. I didn't even know there was a BMX rider out of Ipswich, and that's they're the kind of things that this will give people an idea from. Um, how, how long till it's live? How long till people can go on there, see, get the journey, get an understanding and start following? Well, you can you can donate to help get ready now. Like I have to make sure I've got some money before I promise these young athletes something. So we are, we are live to take donations and then we've got a handful of athletes that we're preparing um, to give out grants for. There'll be grant application processes. And then ultimately, probably within the next um, few months, you'll be able to handpick athletes, you'll be able to pick your sport, you'll be able to donate to all if that's what you choose to do. 
one of the best parts of it because you said this is beyond 2032. Absolutely is because we're building a legacy fund. So we are actually also growing um, an endowment fund so that we don't have to continue with our handout past 2032. Yeah, so yeah, I love this. All of us and I'm making sure that um, those that wear the green and gold for Australia are, are have been given a leg up and uh, can do it with pride and put their best out on the field. Oh, I absolutely love it. Green and gold athletes.com.au. There's plenty of people listening to me this morning and across rural and regional Queensland who absolutely want to see our Olympic teams uh, perform and these young men and women get an opportunity. And Nat Cook knows all too well what it is to, to be an Olympian. Uh, and she gets it, and she's making sure that this legacy rolls on. Greenandgoldathletes.com.au, great to chat. I think this is a phenomenal initiative. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Well, Dobbo, I know you've got two little ones coming, so when they pass 2032, we'll be there to support them as well. Mate, good on you. Mate, you're right. Um, You're right. They're all. They're. They're. they're, Mate, that's exactly right. So I, I don't need to be. I don't need to be working then. They can, you know, have it all paid their own way. I appreciate it. Good on you. Now, I tell you, mate, Lisa Jones, I'll be tapping on her shoulder too. We need the green and gold that have gone before this generation to come out and support as well. So I've got all my mates that wear the green and gold to come and help the next generation, and I uh, can't wait to see them shine. Good on you. Nat Cook, appreciate your time. That's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today. I hope you've enjoyed the show and have a great weekend. So much going on across our state this weekend, and we'll try to keep you updated. Uh, Ben.Dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au is our number. You can get in contact with me anytime you like and just go Ben Dobbin and just tell me what you need. I'd love to help you out. Be in a big week. Have a great weekend. Best of on tomorrow morning. Ray Hadley to join you next. And we're back tomorrow on Monday from 9 a.m. So Monday morning, 9 a.m., rural Queensland today. Have a great day. Till next time, from all the team here, it's bye for now.